This is Lawrence Block, and you're listening to Writer Types. Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. This is Laura McHugh. Hey, I'm Lou Burney. Hi, this is Sophie Hanna. This is Kelly Garrett. I'm Don Winslow. Oh, great question. Well, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. This is Lee Child, and you're listening to Writer Types. Welcome to Writer Types. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and joining me today as my co-hosts, yes, there are two of them, are Sarah Chen and Ed Amar, the co-editors and creators of the new novel in stories, The Swamp Killers. So thanks for joining me today, guys. Oh, thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. Now, this is not a sequel to your last collaboration like this, Night of the Flood, but it follows the same idea of giving different writers pieces of a larger story and then letting them tell the tale in individual short stories. So where did this crazy idea come from? Uh, I'll blame Ed. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to just go through life. <laughs> yeah. And I'll blame, I'll blame JJ Hensley. You know, he had the idea, he's one of the contributors to both books and he had the idea originally for doing this, uh, you know, a group of, uh, of us all getting together and collaborating on a project and it became the night of the flood. That was, that was fun. And that was, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was kind of a, a novel experience for us. And then we thought, uh, you know, we, we could do it again. And I don't think, you know, so Sarah and I talked about it and the resulting project became more complicated, which is, I think something we wanted, but we didn't realize really what a big pain in the butt it would be. <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself. I, I didn't want it complicated. <laughs> well, Sarah, I'm going to see uh, exactly how good you are at telling fictional stories here. Uh, what's Ed like to work with? <laughs> <laughs> he's actually he's he's fantastic to work with. I'll be I'll be totally honest. And this is not a fictional story. He's obviously funny. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Ed. See, Eric. I think we, we just get along great. I, I feel like our strengths were, were a good pair because um, I'm more, I'm very like detail oriented and I kind of nitpick and uh, I feel like he's more of idea guy, like sees the broader picture. So I feel like we make a good team that way. I like that that was sort of like, you know, I'm more of a detail, you know, oriented, task-driven person. And then Ed is... <laughs> You know, more of the... He's funny. No, no, that was... No, Sarah's exactly right. I mean, she's very... She, she picked you. up a lot of details in both books that that were terrific that I would have missed and would have gone, you know, that ideally an editor down the road would have picked up, but Sarah has an eagle eye for stuff like that. And I, I think we both filled in filled in sort of gaps for each other along the way. Well, that's good. I'm just glad to see that, Ed, you're, you're very much like I am, where, where it's like if you someone is asked to express an opinion about you, I think a lot of guys would be waiting for something like handsome or something, but funny is kind of the, the highest compliment you can get. I mean, I usually get handsome. <laughs> that would have been my go-to, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of, I think, accidental that Sarah and I ended up working together, but it's been really productive and and the the great thing about it is that there's no issue that is potentially derailing there's no option of it's not going to work or we're going to have to abandon the project although there are times when it was close 
<laughs> well, now the truth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean, when you give authors that much free reign, like you have in in these projects, I mean, do you does it end up making the editing maybe a little bit easier because there's not as narrow a lane that they have to stick to, or does it actually make it harder since they have the potential to go so far away from the brief? I think, but with this anthology, we really narrowed things um, as far as the concept and recurring characters that I think made it tougher. I feel like it was harder for me to write for this anthology than it was for Night of the Flood. I don't know about you, Ed. I agree. A little tougher. I mean, I had the, I sort of had the story in mind prior to it, which is the benefit you get of being one of the people to develop the concept. For me, it was really tweaks, but you, you definitely, the, the hard part, I think, uh, from an editorial perspective is you don't want to stifle anyone, right? right? I mean, you're getting terrific writers. I mean, you have writers as different as, you know, Shannon Kirk and Tom Sweaterlich and, and Art Taylor, you know, involved in this project, you know, among, among others, you know, Hillary Davidson, some, just a ton of Rebecca Drake, a ton of great writers. And you don't want to, you don't want to put anyone in a box or tell them this is what your chapter is going to be like because you're ruining what attracted you to those people in the first place. But now I noticed that I'm not in either of these books. <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, a lot of people approached us to, you know, be in the book and we were in the, if, if we did one and we were like, yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. If there's a third we could extend an invite to you, Eric, if you'd no, like. No, I, I don't want your pity invites. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the Swamp Killers, as a, as a title of a book, it sounds like an old pulp paperback novel that you would get. Did this idea, is this something that you guys really beat out a, tr a huge part of the story before you started handing out assignments? Or did you just know kind of a vague arc of what's going to happen when going into this. Well, I think Ed, you seem to really, you got the character, you got your four recurring characters that kind of, we launched from there. So we could all, you know, have the same idea of what this one character looked like. Didn't we have images? I thought we were yeah. working on images and like, oh, she has red hair, not blonde hair. And uh -huh. yeah, that was one of the, I mean, that was one of the big, key differences between the two books you know because in the night of the flood we created a, a fictional town in everton and um we did have some recurring elements but they were really based more in the town uh you know for the town map we actually ended up going with a map of springfield from the simpsons because it sort of <laughs> encompassed everything we, we were looking at different maps and we were like somehow we came across the simpsons map and we were like this is set up perfectly um <laughs> and for the swamp killers it was a, a different beast because all of the locations were real you know when we were conceiving the project yeah some of the characters were there the basics of the story that that was the big difference and that that happened i think more sequentially yeah it had to be a certain order i think it's easier to write about you know with night of flood it's kind of it's about what transpired after this big event Right. And there's so much you could do with that. Whereas this was like, okay, you have these four recurring characters and there's just very specific parameters to work with. And and I think maybe Eric, this is something that you sort of get to because you've been involved with a lot of anthologies and you host the North of our series in LA. So, you know, for, for me, like I really love 
collaborating but not working directly with somebody i i couldn't imagine <laughs> like co-writing something but i love doing a project with other people and it it's sort of neat to get different voices different talented voices and see what they do and and it's always you know fun to measure yourself up against them too oh sure sure well let's measure ourselves up against our first guest shall we that's where you say yes we shall Oh sure, yeah. Are we? We're you're done with us? <laughs> now it's time. Now it's time to control our first guest. <laughs> Sounds good, Eric. I'm, I'm so seamless on these things. I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Author Sheena Kamal is back with her third in the Nora Watts series titled No Going Back. Uh, she also has her YA debut novel this year with Fight Like a Girl. She's an actress, a writer, and a Muay Thai fighter. So, I mean, already she's more interesting than all three of us put together, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, No Going Back, I think, is, is a great title for a thriller. Is, is there anything that you guys uh, would never go back to? High school. <laughs> wow, good answer. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with high school too. That was that was traumatic. <laughs> well, Sheena Kamal, welcome back to Writer Types. Uh, your your second time, and you're here with the third Nora Watts novel, No Going Back. So I, I want to know from that first book, has Nora's journey been Anything like what you expected when you first wrote The Lost Ones? No. Um, well, because when I wrote The Lost Ones, it was sort of like a, a shot in the dark. I didn't know anything about publishing, and it was my first novel and my first attempt at a novel. And so when The the Lost Ones sort of took on a life of its own, and I really didn't anticipate and any of it and even getting um, – a three book deal, you know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't planned that. Although when my agent at the time called me and was like, do you see this as a standalone or do you see this as a series maybe? And I was like, definitely, definitely at least three books. Um, so that was like the moment that the first time that I thought that it, it could be more. Um, but that was just something that I said just to like hustle. Cause that's, <laughs> that's like who I am. Right. So yeah, I had no, I had no idea that she would be taking me on this journey, um, not just, you know, her story, but also into publishing, right? So I've, I've learned, I learned about publishing through these books. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hate to, I, I don't want to diminish your achievement or anything, but it does always annoy me a little bit when someone like yourself is like, oh, I don't know, I figured I'd just write a book. And then, hey, look at this, I got published. No, I got all these awards and the three books. So, yeah. <laughs> Yes, we all hate you. If it helps, just remember that I am under five feet tall. And so you all probably tower over me and like <laughs> in life, you you have a leg up. You have like five legs up. That just means you succeeded with a visible flaw. I mean, that makes it worse. <laughs> we don't have an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> now we hate you more. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just excellent. Like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I, like, really tried. Just, like, sharing all my vulnerable secrets and, like, my, my like, innermost shame. And you guys are like, well, screw you, you know. Okay. Well, sh come on. Shortness is not a thing. You, you got to dig like, deeper. Extreme shortness. <laughs> so small. <laughs> I'm trying to find like other other like negative things about myself that I can use to make you guys feel better, but like 
Oh, we'll we'll find some. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll find some. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> so I have a question. Um, originally, you said you thought that this might well be a trilogy, but now that you are three books in, do you still think it's just a trilogy, or do you think there's more? Okay, so the way that No Going Back ends and. I think it's one of my proudest moments in, in writing Nora is that I love the way this book ends and it gives me an opportunity to, if I start with her again, I would start her in a different place, but I don't know what that would be necessarily. I do have some ideas, but it really just depends on if I think that I can make another Nora book that is as compelling as these first three and as um, wonderful to write, then then yeah, I, I will continue and I, and I am open to it, but um, but it really has to be the right thing because mm-hmm. these books, you guys know, you're, you're, all, you're all writers, so you know that they take a lot from you. And so yeah. what you're getting out of them, the journey of the character has to take you somewhere too as the author. And so I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing her justice and I'm also doing myself justice. That makes sense. So Sheena, this is uh, Ed. I had a question for you. Given your background in uh, acting and performing, um, do you use that when you're writing? I mean, do you go particularly in dialogue, you know, or with the scenes? Do you go full method? I mean, have you kidnapped or killed anyone? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, my ex-boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did I mean, your ex-boyfriend not yet. I'm telling you what I tell all of them. <laughs> not yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't go full method, but I do, um, you know, it, it is written first person, present tense. So it is very immediate. Everything that I write, uh, you know, about Nora sort of feels like me too. And, and also, you know, it, I do have that sort of actor side of me that's like super emotional and cries all the time so you know as i'm writing these scenes i'm also just like weeping into my 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 laptop oh wow well yeah but you know that's just an everyday thing though yeah i mean like (laughs) should i be saying this stuff yeah okay but yeah i do definitely do put a lot of myself into these books and i do um definitely go through these emotional journeys so while these things are products of my imagination I, I try to to root them in a real feeling. Well, you also take your your research very seriously. I mean, for your new YA novel that comes out uh, later this year, uh, "Fight Like a Girl," I mean, you traveled to Thailand to do some intense Muay Thai training. I mean, which I know is something you've been into for a long time, but you sort of went that extra step and traveled to the the home of Muay Thai. And it, but it also, just judging from your posts on social media, it sounds like you really got your got kicked around. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. But, you know, the so Fight Like a Girl, I had written it before I um, even considered going to Thailand. You know, so I've oh. always wanted to go. Um, but I've been training Muay Thai on and off for about a dozen years. Um, and but, but badly, you know, a friend of mine owns a gym. And through nepotism, I'd show up and be like, hey, give me a pad session. <laughs> and my friend would just be like, oh, Sheena. <laughs> and then would give me a pad session. So I've been around the sport for a while. Um, and this, for me to go to Thailand, that was really about like, it was a personal journey. I, um, was turning 37 this year, um, or last year and, you know, coming up against this milestone of like, who am I and what is the point of me? And I really wanted to figure out some, some personal stuff about myself. And so one of the things that Muay Thai has always given me is that it makes me so freaking exhausted that I, 
all of the other BS that goes on in my mind and that, you know, all the writer anxiety, that stuff is just not possible when you're training. And so when I was training, even in Toronto, I would just hit upon these moments of like, okay, I'm getting in touch with this person that I have sort of put aside for a really long time. So Thailand was just an extreme version of that, of me. Not, it wasn't about the book and it wasn't about writing, although I did get some great writing done while I was there. It was more about like, for me, Sheena, as this, as a, as a person who is a, a writer in the world, but doesn't actually understand how to reconcile <laughs> that, how do I connect again with myself? Wow. That sounds like uh, a memoir would come out of that. Well, actually, the most fun, okay, I'll tell you guys, the most fun thing that happened to me there was that I sort of went into it sort of like, as most single women, just like hating men, <laughs> being like, Ugh, I don't want to date, I don't want to see you guys, like, just please go away. But then, you know, in when you're training Muay Thai, it's very like dude heavy uh, environment. And these guys at these like fighters at this gym, they added me on a group chat but then they forgot that I was there. And so for a really long time, I was just creeping them. I was just like, what are these guys doing today? Like, and I got to, you know, this window into the male psyche and it was really, it was, it was. And I started to love them. And I, you know, I, I started to think they were adorable, you know, these like cute, fuzzy fighters, you know? It was just this very strange, strange experience. I've always thought it'd be so disappointing for a woman to see the truth of a male psyche. Kind of like, that's that's it, huh? That's all. Like, you guys just think like, hey, there's a tree. And that's it. There's no there's no reflection. It's do-do-do. Yeah, th- there was a lot of that. But, like, the thing is, is that I think we, we try to project a lot of stuff that really doesn't exist necessarily so so in in that way it was helpful and it was it was interesting let me ask you let's go to um your other book in no going back uh it travels quite a bit but ultimately ends up in vancouver where nora must confront pieces of her past nora's decisions early in life really haunt her through all three books so are you haunted by your past as well Oh my God, how long do you have? (laughs) Very simple question, right? (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, the short answer is yes. (laughs) Okay. I I feel like we could be the world's greatest therapy trio, you guys, because we just, we got to the heart of it in in one question. (laughs) Well, we are, we all are haunted by our past in some sort of way because we're, we're the product of our past experiences and these things inform who we are and how we view the world. And as I'm sure you guys all know too, it's like, it comes out in the writing. So Nora's past specifically is so um, juicy and so textured that it's really, it's a lot to delve into, but it's also really interesting to delve into. And to also for me as the writer, see how she finds resolution and often she doesn't. And and that some, that sometimes is a lesson that I need to learn too. Yeah. I like that. So I wanted to ask, uh, the tagline for this book is find your enemy before he finds you. Uh, Who or what would you say is your biggest enemy right now? Is it Eric? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) not really. Um, Eric is lovely and wonderful and has me on his podcast. (laughs) Give me time. He's not your enemy yet. (laughs) As we are recording, 
no, absolutely not. He's not my biggest enemy. I think like like with Nora, my biggest enemy is myself. Ooh, oh, that's deep. Wow. How so? I think that I can be really hard on myself and really push myself in a way that is very unhealthy. And that's one of the things that I was kind of really working with this year, letting go of this this need to constantly be hustling. So um, I want to say thank you guys for raising that. <laughs> 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 Making me think about this in this interview. Uh, oh, it's our pleasure. Not, uh. Definitely not, not sobbing. No. <laughs> well, listen, if if people want to get uh, all the insight that they need to know about Sheena, I think I think it is there in your books. I mean, I, th- I think Nora is is a really fascinating character and to watch her journey over three books uh, has been a pleasure for me, despite uh, the obvious soul crushing pain it's caused you, Sheena. But, uh... <laughs> Here's the thing. It has not caused me soul crushing pain. Oh, good. Okay. So much light and life and wonder and change into my life, you know, and, and it is, it is a wonderful thing to find one's vocation almost. And that's what writing novels is for me. I didn't know it going in until I wrote the last ones. And then I did, and these wonderful things started to happen to me, but I I was too involved in the hustle to really sit back and appreciate these wonderful things. So now that I'm in a different place mentally, I I do think that it's been it's been great. Yeah, and I wish that I had taken the time to enjoy the journey a little bit more. And if, if that was something that I could say to you know aspiring writers it can be a soul-crushing journey if you let it but if you try to enjoy the little moments and the little achievements on your way on your journey then that's that's amazing like for example today is my pub day for no going back and Roxanne Gay who is like my writing hero she tweeted about it and wow yeah like it's it's amazing so today I've just been in the clouds over it and you know that's that's a wonderful moment to hold on to so i'm sorry if it makes it, if it, made it seem like it has been soul crushing it really hasn't but I'm, I'm trying i'm really trying to enjoy you were in the clouds until you talked to us <laughs> <laughs> you know what <laughs> that is true Jeez, Well, uh, now that we've broken down Sheena Kamal uh, and exposed her on uh, the podcast, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that that's the way to, to sell a lot of books is uh, just lay it all out on the line and expose yourself to the listeners, right? She wasn't audibly weeping. So, I, yeah, I really hope we do better in, in a future interview. <laughs> it's always been my goal is to get someone to cry on the show. I thought we were there. <laughs> <laughs> Our work is done. Yes. Well, no, it's not done yet. We have another guest. Let's see if we can do it. We're going to make him cry. Okay. Our next guest is Matthew Quirk. Matt burst on the scene with his award-winning novel, The 500, and he's been on top of the thriller world since then. His new book is called The Hour of the Assassin. Now, okay, you guys, if you could hire an assassin, you knew you would never get caught. It would never be traced to you. Who would you take out? Oh. High school teacher, I'm guessing, right? I'm thinking of high school. Like. Yeah. It's really hard to narrow it down. (laughs) There's so many options. Yeah. I've I've tapped into a long list of grievances. (laughs) So many X's. (laughs) Wow, you guys could keep a a John Wick employed for months. (laughs) 
Due to scheduling conflicts, Ed actually could not join us for the next interview, so Sarah and I had to handle it ourselves. I think we did quite well, which of course does beg the question, what is Ed good for in life? Well, while you ponder that, here's our interview with Matthew Cork. So, Matthew, your new book, Hour of the Assassin, is uh, clearly it's about an assassin, and you can do research about all the stuff around a character like that, but I assume it's probably really hard to get in and talk to a professional killer. There's no sort of ride-along for assassins, so how do you get the details right about someone with this job? Well, the whole inspiration for the book and the idea for the book actually came from that question because in earlier books you know how it goes you have to do a heist you have to have your villain kill a senator they have to break into the department of defense it's just you know the questions that face you when you're waking up and then figuring out how you write your scene that day uh so you know it's so easy to be like an air duct or whatever it is you know the old (laughs) cliches from other books and movies and i like to do reporting and research uh, as much as a way to procrastinate as anything else. And so I was just digging around to try to find out, in that case, how you would break into the Department of Defense. Yeah, I didn't have any sort of foreign spies to talk to or any assassins to talk to, but I found these folks called Red Teamers who are hired by the government or the private sector to pose as bad guys and break into places or pretend to kill people and then go home and write up, well, I was going to kill this guy. And they write that up as part of a security audit. So I went from being like, okay, I'm just going to recycle some air duct stuff to reading (laughs) a report to say, here's how we broke into the Department of Defense. And I was like, holy smokes, this is actually how you would do it. Right. Well, that, that's amazing. I, I'm I'm actually grateful to know that these red teams are, are real because I wasn't sure when I was reading it. I was like, oh, is he just making up this thing? But that's a real thing that people do. Yeah, I did, you know, turn it up a little bit for the novel. Like the typical red team work is trying to get access to a server in a company. But right. there are red teams that, for instance, like plant bombs in government buildings. And I mean, you probably read the studies where they sneak stuff past the TSA. Yeah, have you yeah. ever read those? They'll use stuff with like real explosives because they wanted to have the chemical signature. So it, it's a real job. So that you know, the beginning of the book, which is where it's a full-on mock assassination, you know, they typically don't come up behind the target and be like, "I could have killed you." But that's <laughs> really fun in a thriller. So it's that foundation of real research, and then you take some dramatic license with the uh, the details. So your books all take place around Washington and politics. Does the news out of Washington in real life constantly surprise you still and make you feel like you need to keep going bigger in your fiction to compete with real life? Oh, no, I've completely given up on on competing (laughs) with real life at this point. (laughs) Like, I'm going to write Armageddon. I mean, we're at that point. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a little crazy because... When I started, it felt like these thrillers were a little over the top, and I knew I was, you know, sexing up real life DC. (laughs) And now I read the news, and I'm just like, holy cow, this is so crazy. I mean, there is real blackmail. There's there's payoffs. You know, not so much in domestic politics, but the last book I wrote was inspired by a real life 
Russian assassination in DC. So now it's just crazy because you do your research for what used to feel like a really outlandish plot just by reading the paper every day. It has been wild. And I did have to change up, you know, stories because the last book was about, you know, what if the president were compromised by Russia? And when I started writing it, that was totally outlandish. And then over the course of the book, <laughs> it became like page one speculation and the topic of the day. So I had to, you know, I went from being like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so topical to like, oh, crap, I'm behind the news. And I actually <laughs> added a twist to that book. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a wild time, but it does make the thrillers feel a little bit more grounded. Although I wish that hadn't happened by DC going completely insane. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you were a reporter for a number of years for the Atlantic, and and it sounds like you you definitely still do all the research in a almost a reporterly sort of way. But I mean, when you were covering stories back then, it was kind of a, an impetus for turning to thrillers to try to heighten that reality that wasn't living up to the the thrills that you maybe you wanted. You, you wanted to stick a little extra stuff in there. Yes, and also. When I started out in D.C., I started as an intern in college at The Atlantic. And The Atlantic has Mark Bowden um, and William Longavisha and Jim Fallows, like the most amazing writers on earth. And I was the 22-year-old, like writing squibs for the front of, ma of the magazine and delighted to, to be able to do that, you know. <laughs> and I would write an article and they would kill it because they kill, they kill everything. They get 10,000 submissions a year. Oh, wow. And as an intern, you go into the room where all those submissions sit and you just scan them, throw them out, scan them, throw them out. So it was nice to have that sort of physical reminder of how hard it was. And that actually was really helpful in publishing. <laughs> you know, when you're just faced with all those manuscripts that people have poured their heart and soul into and you're an intern. And I mean, that's just how it goes. You're skimming them and trashing them. It's crazy. And then the way I got into the thrillers really was because I was writing really short stuff for the magazine and really honored to be able to do that. But at the same time, I was in D.C. It was a fascinating time. It was the run up to the Iraq war. Um, I had a certain amount of access through the magazine. So I would like go to these dinners where the former CIA director would be talking to like David Brooks and they'd be debating, you know, whether the U S should become an Imperial power. And my, you know, my friends were doing cool intelligence stuff. And then at the same time, you know, like there were people from foreign countries who were trying to kind of influence the way the U S might go to war and you'd meet them at parties. So they were like foreign agents. So there was just so wow. much cool stuff going on. It all kind of flooded into fiction because I was writing really short stuff for the magazine and it worked out. Yeah. I'll say. Yeah. You've, so you've written about FBI agents, um, assassins, secret service agents, um, Washington insiders, but not a reporter. And why not? You know, that's an interesting question. And I, I wonder about that. I don't know if it's structural in the way the stories go with a reporter. Tom Rosenstiel, who's a reporter, a great kind of legendary DC reporter, he started writing a thriller series that's very incredibly well-researched inside DC baseball. And 
he made his guy like a political consultant because he just thought the reporter is is too much of an observer. Hmm. So there may be something to that, but in some ways I think about it and I think, well, that'll be a good series if I ever get to it, you know? I can relate to that. I mean, I think it's, uh, I always go through that where you, you don't necessarily want to spend your off time from the day job writing about the day job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I I was lucky. Well, because I was laid off as a reporter in 2008, and that's why I took the jump to fiction. And then it just worked out. But it's, it's funny because um, I'm kind of going without a net now. Now, you are a, a short chapter guy, and this, this book in particular has 106 chapters. So I, I want to know, like, while you're writing, is it tempting to write a chapter that, you know, it may be only a page long, but then you sort of lean back and you can figure, oh, well, I got my chapter done. I'm done for the day. This is <laughs> the short chapters end up kind of making you a little uh, lax in your writing. Well, no, because then you do, you know, I do a thousand words a day. And if I get that, I'm, you know, a human being and I can relax. And if I don't, I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get my word count. And so I'll often do two or three chapters and the, you know, the nuts and bolts of the writing is I'm basically just writing kind of sequences, very screenwriting style. I mean, the, the chapters thing... It's really just a question of, of how you break it up because I tend to write in longer sequences. And, and you break it up later? And then, yeah, I kind of break it up later because there'll be a natural moment, which is really just a scene change. Yeah. And so for me, I, I say, okay, new chapter. And I mean, another author could just press enter twice and <laughs> it wouldn't be a new chapter. But that's one thing where... The people, the readers have come to me and said, I love the short chapters. Yeah. I just love that I feel like I'm rocketing through this thing. It also, it doesn't really change the content. You know, you might think you're getting a real dopey book if it's That's only yeah. a page or two chapters. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I think you can have a really fast paced but smart book. And I, um, it's, it's just another dial to twist of... I don't know, sort of your velocity through the story. And these are conspiracy thrillers. So I like to keep that pretty dialed up. Yeah, definitely. Sarah, do you try to uh, hit a daily uh, word count? And do you get stressed if you don't make it? (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually don't have a daily word count. I kind of more have like a, an idea of what I want to accomplish as far as like where the story's going. Uh-huh. And if that's, you know, 500 words or it could be it could be a thousand words, but it's just kind of like I want to get to this point in the story and whatever that word count is, then that's what it is. So that's kind of how I do it. And it's not every day. How about you, Eric? I, I'm definitely of the mind of uh, I think similar to what you said, Sarah, like I, I like to finish a thought and, mm-hmm. and I, I have a very hard time breaking off something in the middle of a scene. I know I've talked to some writers who like to sort of stop a scene kind of mid action and then be able to pick it up the, the next day. I, to me, I, I feel like it's more coherent. I, I don't want to, you know, be in the middle of an action scene or, or some sort of scene of where I'm trying to build suspense and, and then try to come back and kind of get myself back into that same headspace. I, I like to finish a thought. And yeah, like you say, Sarah, like sometimes it's, I'll look at them like, oh, that wasn't too many words, but 
I don't know that I have the energy to start and then finish the next thought, which could be, you know, 2,500 words, you know, like it could be a bigger scene. So I'll, I'll start on a scene and want to finish that scene by the time I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. The ideal place for me to stop is, you know, I've, I've written enough for the day that I can relax. And then I yeah. sort of, I, I've, I'm enough in the group that I can picture what happens next but I'm like too tired to write the next thing. So I'll just write down some mush at the end of the chapter. Like <laughs> he comes in, oh, the whole trick is that it's in the utility closet, whatever it is. And then go to bed knowing that I have an idea of what happens next. So the next day I can get back into the groove more easily. That's good. Leave yourself a little note. Yeah. Now, uh, my our other co-host for this episode, Ed Amar, uh, couldn't join us today, but uh, if I asked Ed and Sarah earlier, and they failed miserably at answering this question. So I'm going to ask you, Matthew, based on uh, your experience in writing Hour of the Assassin, if you could hire an assassin and you knew you'd never be caught, there's no way it'd be traced to you, who would you take out? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They failed miserably just because that's probably not something you want to talk about for publication, right? Yeah, I don't want to get oh. in trouble. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd have to go with some sort of, uh, you know, the deputy head who's now head of ISIS or something. All right. So you'd go for the, for the greater good rather than a personal grievance. Yeah, I really, I mean, there, there's really not anyone I want to kill. If I could hire an assassin, I'd say like, hey, let me ask you these questions about this chapter I'm having trouble on in a book. <laughs> Pick your brain. Yeah. You'd be like, this is so boring. You just sit here all day. It's like those people that hire a prostitute and just want to talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, it's good to know that there are so many writers of, of murder and mayhem who, who actually don't want to kill anybody themselves. That's that's good to know. It gives me faith in the world. Yeah. We're all so you know, You get it all, get your giggies out on the page. Well, guys, that was it. You guys are done with uh, your co-hosting duties. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I hope we did okay. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. This is great. Oh, you did great. Uh, and uh, almost as good as you guys uh, did with the Swamp Killers uh, and before that Night of the Flood. I mean, I think you guys uh, have a great partnership going here, but it's not going to take away from your individual writing, right? You, you guys have more projects coming up that we should know about? Ed does. <laughs> I do. I have. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess Sarah's Sarah's on hold right now. But I. Um, yeah, I have a book coming out in November of this year. Uh, They're gone. Which will be published by uh, Crooked Lane Books. Who's gone? They are. <laughs> They're. They're. Oh, T they are. Yeah. Oh, where did they go, Ed? I mean, if I tell you that, I mean, why would you read the book? <laughs> well, it's working already because I am intrigued. I have questions. I need to read yeah. this book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Where did they go? This is an ideal title, Ed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I like it. Are you well, working good. with um, Terry Bischoff? I am. Yeah. Cool. She was the acquiring and the main editor for the book. So, no, oh, Terry is the best. Well, Again, I thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, everyone can always find back episodes of Writer Types at writertypespodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Writer Types. And uh, we look forward to hearing what you guys are reading and what you're hunkered down with in your virus bunkers. And uh, everyone's giant to-be-read pile hopefully is shrinking a little bit during this trying time. Are you guys getting some good reading done as well as writing? 
Not really. <laughs> you can go one of two ways. You either have a ton of time and you just take advantage of it, or it's all so stressful that you can't focus on anything, which I think a lot of people are going through. Yeah, it's the, the not focusing thing. I've read two books recently. Well, one that I'm finishing up, Nick Kolkowski's Rattlesnake Rodeo, which is coming out, I believe, later this year. Uh, and that's great. And then Samantha Downing's My Lovely Wife just finished that and thought it was great. Well, hopefully people uh, picked up some new ideas of stuff to read from this episode. And I'll be back again real soon with another episode and more great book ideas for you to read. Thanks again, guys. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>